What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome everyone to a Baseball America College podcast along with Aaron Fit. I'm John Manuel. This Baseball America College podcast is sponsored by ATEC, the baseball training machine company. At ATEC, we're committed to delivering tools to coaches to help train and develop players. Visit ATECSports.com to learn about training machines that can help make your practice more effective and efficient. See training tips and practice drills from Vanderbilt head coach Tim Corbin and much more on ATECSports.com. ATEC win every practice. Aaron, uh, we're, we're not talking about practice. We're talking about games. And uh, the Baseball America College Top 25 unchanged at the top with our top four teams, uh, some new teams at the back. I thought we'd go ahead and start off by just talking a little bit about the separation I think there is at the top of our rankings between Florida, Stanford, and I guess you have to include South Carolina, even though from a talent perspective, while South Carolina is talented, I don't believe that they're in the same talent spectrum as Florida and Stanford, but as we've seen the last two years, it's not all about talent with the Gamecocks. I'm not trying to take anything away from Arkansas, but to me, it's a very clear top three of Florida, Stanford, South Carolina. Do you agree with me? I think that is fair to say, yes. And I thought coming into the year that was the case. Um, and, uh, you know, and I really do like Arkansas's team, and I wouldn't be surprised if at the end of the year, um, you know, they're right in with those teams as kind of a top tier. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Florida, Stanford, and South Carolina, it's hard to argue um, with what they've done and what they've, you know, the, the talent that they have and, and certainly with their track records. I mean, these are all teams that uh, had a lot of success last year. I mean, even Stanford was in a super regional last year with a younger team, uh, freshman and sophomore dominated team. And, you know, they've grown up clearly because, uh, boy, no team has made as much noise through four weeks as, as Stanford. I mean, it's pretty incredible uh, the way that they have beaten. Vanderbilt, Texas, and Rice so handily, and Fresno State on the road, but winning two out of three against those guys. So, um, you know, they head into their exam break with a lot of confidence. At eight and one against the top 25, pretty impressive for Stanford. That also makes the Sunday win for Rice all the more impressive. Not only that Rice won the game, um, you know, obviously you played to win the game, but that they got six and two-thirds scoreless out of Jordan Stevens and then J.T. Shagwa with the great relief pitching out of the bullpen. I mean, that bullpen is one of the keys we've said all along for Rice. 
Is that the most impressive victory <laughs> of the season for any team? Just because Rice is the one team that was able to slow down Stanford's juggernaut offense and actually shut them out? You could certainly make that case, and that's you know a reason why Rice only fell a couple of spots in our in our rankings, despite uh, what a two and three week. I think they also had a midweek loss to Texas State, but um, you know Stanford is. Uh, the way that they've been playing, I mean, uh, I think they were averaging 14 runs a game on Sunday. So you shut them out, you know, on a Sunday. Um, yeah, that, that's impressive. <laughs> you know, you could say that. I think, I think Rice, you know, uh, hey, I, I still think they're an elite team and that this weekend doesn't change that. They went on the road and, and, you know, you're supposed to, against a, a, a team that's ranked number two in the nation and playing as well as Sanford was, you're not really supposed to win that series. It's great if you can, but as long as you don't get swept, you know, I'm fine with that. Um, I think Rice has proven that it's it's got a really good club, and um, you know we love the bullpen, and, and I think it's great that Jordan Stevens has kind of emerged in that Sunday role. They need Austin Kibitza to come to bounce back. Um, he's been bad three weeks in a row now, um, but and not, uh, and not just bad results wise. But you said that his his velocity has yeah. been down. Was it not down in Houston last week? It was down in Houston last week. Yeah, he was pitching about eighty seven, eighty eight, um, and uh, you know. There's nothing wrong with him physically, uh, according to Coach Graham over there. But uh, he said he just wasn't throwing through the target was Coach Graham's explanation. So uh, I'm not sure. But, you know, he's certainly a key guy for them. Uh, but uh, I'm not worried about Rice. You know, I, I like their team, and I just like Stanford's team more. I think every pitcher goes through a dead arm period uh, from time to time. Uh, I, I think that's what you have to hope it is for, for Rice because, to me, if Kibitz is not – we love their bullpen. Uh, obviously, I think we think they have a veteran offense. They have some options offensively, and they did score some runs, you know, this weekend at times. Um, that obviously they were going up against a pretty pretty good pitching staff as well. Uh, you, you know, you score six runs on the on the Saturday game. That's usually going to win your games if you're Rice. But I think they have to be concerned about Kibitza. To me, if he's not right, that's not an Omaha team. You know, that's one of the reasons we like them so much is yeah, uh, that one-two punch of Kibitza and Reckling combined with their bullpen, combined with a veteran capable offense. So a little danger zone, uh, a little danger sign, I should say, for Rice uh, early. But, I mean, like you said, I think we didn't drop them too hard in the rankings because there's no, there's no embarrassment in, uh, in losing a series to Stanford. There's certainly something to be said for North Carolina going on the road as we had the first weekend. You previewed it a lot in the weekend preview. I thought we'd review it a lot here on the college podcast about the first weekend in ACC play. North Carolina, the top team in the ACC coming in. We had them ranked higher than other, any other ACC club, and they go on the road and have a real emphatic start to ACC play by sweeping a series at Clemson, a series that was where every game was close. But, boy, it's amazing to me. Uh, teams named Carolina have become kryptonite to Clemson because they can't hmm. beat South Carolina and they can't beat North Carolina. They've lost five uh, series to North Carolina five consecutive years including three sweeps with this sweep. And on Sunday, uh, Aaron, it was a, you know, blowing a 5-2 lead in the ninth inning uh, for uh, for Clemson as North Carolina scores three in the ninth and then uh, comes back to, uh, comes on and finishes it off in the 11th inning. Um, I guess first off, uh, what, what do you uh, attribute this to for North Carolina? And then what's kind of the problem with Clemson as a team, a uh, preseason top 25 team with a 6-7 and seven record right now? Well, you know, there, there's a lot to to handle there. I, I think first of all, um, you know, Clemson didn't get it done in the bullpen this weekend, and they didn't get it done 
you know, really with their starters either. I mean, that's one reason that their bullpen struggled is that they put extra strain on those guys. Dominic Leone didn't pitch deep into the game on Saturday. And so, um, you know, North Carolina was able to get to that bullpen for three runs in the ninth inning. Uh, and then they, they did it again on Sunday with three runs in the ninth inning. Um, you know, I, I think I like, I actually like Clemson's pitching staff. Um, I think given time, I think those guys are going to be all right, but, they haven't been great lately. You know, they weren't great against South Carolina. They weren't great this weekend. It's uh, supposed to be the strength of their team. I mean, um, you know, I, I don't think this is a vintage Clemson team to begin with. You know, I don't think this is a right. top 10 kind of a team. We didn't think that coming into the year. Right. Um, I do think it'll be better than it has been. Um, but, uh, you know, they get swept at home. That's, you know, that's not pretty. I mean, I know that these games were all competitive. Um, I do think, again, that Clemson will get this thing going a little bit and they'll be back to the top 25. But, um, you know, right now North Carolina is a better team and I think they're, they're tougher. Um, and I think their, their bullpen is a separator. I mean, we talked about Clemson's bullpen not getting it done. Look at the job that Michael Marin did for North Carolina this weekend. I mean, on all week, in fact. Um, yeah, he you had know, a big I, week. He had a big week. I think he pitched in all, all five of their games this week and, Got uh, what four saves and, and a win. Um, you know, he, he was just fantastic, and and they like their bullpen a lot. And he's a big part of it. Him and RC Orland from the left side. Uh, it's a great one-two punch, and they've got a, a deep supporting cast. So, I think the bullpen makes a big difference uh, for the Tar Heels. And North Carolina used seven relievers on Sunday. <laughs> and uh, you know, the one thing I'm going to say about North Carolina is that they have a true ace in Kent Emanuel, who I don't think has lost a game at the college level yet. If he's lost, maybe it's one. Yeah. Uh, then you've got um, Michael Morin, a true, I would say, an elite college closer. You know, kind of analogous to a Rob Wooten in North Carolina had a couple of years ago. And he may not be a huge pro prospect. I know he throws harder than Wooten. But, uh, I think Morin is a good prospect, but he's not. He's not. He's not Andrew Kerrigan caliber for me. Um, well, maybe he's better than Kerrigan. He's got more pitches. I'm kind of talking this out in my head right now, out loud. Well, I mean, I'm, Kerrigan. You know, Kerrigan's. The, the separator for him was just, I think, the the fastball command and the and the toughness certainly. And and Marin, I think, uh, um, you know, I, I think you're probably right that his stuff is is fairly comparable. He's got a, ch- a better changeup. He's got better uh, secondary certainly. stuff than Andrew Kerrigan, I think. Yeah, but uh, you know, I, I mean, whether he's whether or not he's as good as Kerrigan, that, that's interesting discussion. But I mean, the fact that you're having that discussion is a good sign for UNC because Kerrigan was a key part of those Omaha teams. That's it. And then the, to me, the thing is that in between those two guys is where North Carolina's that's the difference between whether they're going to be a very good team or an elite and maybe a national championship team. They clearly have the toughness. They have a lineup. They have, I think their defense is better this year. Uh, I'm, I'm encouraged by their defense. Tommy Coyle's handling shortstop pretty well. Uh, like on Saturday's game, they made no errors. Clemson made four. Uh, and like you said, I mean, Daniel Gossett's a, a nice talent. He blew that game. Uh, you know, he gives up the three runs in the you know, ninth inning to North Carolina on on Friday, North Carolina, like two airs the whole weekend. So uh, I, I think veteran ACC observers uh, still are surprised. But it's true. North Carolina really has the toughness in this league. Uh, there's no more grinded-out team in Carolina in the, in the ACC right now. Yeah, And uh, it's kind of impressive to see that that's the identity of their program. And, I mean, they have just – and that and that's really is their identity. And the one thing I'll say is it's hard to watch their games when they start going to the bullpen. I mean, the pace of some of those games, from an entertain, purely for entertainment purposes only, some of, the, some of the pace of some of those games are is difficult. Um, now, I was at the other – I was at a, another ACC series this weekend. I saw Georgia Tech and NC State. 
and Georgia Tech didn't get swept, and they weren't at home, but a road series for a top-10 team, and Georgia Tech goes on the road for their first real test of the week of the year, Aaron, and they uh, lose that series to NC State after cruising on Friday, um, and they lose the series to, to NC State on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, a couple observations I'll throw in here, just that, uh, you know, first off, oh, we talked about Georgia Tech's defense being a concern going into the season, especially on the infield. It was a concern last year. It remains a concern. They benched Mott Hyde on Sunday. I think we kind of saw that coming. Uh, he's a well-regarded player in terms of his uh, when he was recruited. He's not hitting, and his defense at shortstop was an issue. Now they've moved into second base, and he botched a play at second base on Saturday. So we'll see what Danny Hall does going forward with his infield. Uh, Sam Dove's going to play either second base or third base. I think Tech has some real infield defense questions. And then I would say that it's not 100% of a fair read on Georgia Tech because Matt Grimes did not pitch this weekend. Uh, arm a little tender. Uh, Coach Hall told me that if they if had been later in the year, they probably would have started him. But early in the year, they want to make sure Matt Grimes is right. Obviously, he was an unsigned fourth-round pick two years ago. Big part of what they're going to planning to do this season. So it wasn't you know your full look, your Buck Farmer, Matt Grimes, uh, one-two punch that – is one of the big reasons why Georgia Tech was ranked tenth in the you know at, at the time, but the more impressive part to me a little bit was NC State's fourth ranked recruiting class, uh, Aaron, and they were. It's hard for me to see another team out there that has the kind of velocity in their rotation that NC State has on the weekend. He didn't pitch well on Friday, but Anthony Zamsis is you know bumping a lot of ninety fours, uh, average to above average fastball velocity, and their freshman uh, Carlos Rodon and. Uh, you know, Logan, I'm always Jernigan. Jernigan. I'm always forgetting, I'm always forgetting his last name. Um, but Jernigan, six no hit innings on Sunday, and Rodon in complete control on Saturday with seven innings, seven strikeouts. Uh, how many teams out there have three starters who are bumping 94 uh, the whole weekend, Aaron? No, not many. Not many. I mean, f- uh, you know, e- even Florida. I mean, Brian Johnson's going to pitch more in the eighty nine, ninety one range, and Hudson Randall's going to be, you know, in the high mid to high eighties. I mean, right. those are three All Americans in their rotation, but they don't have that kind of velocity. Uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, I think I think you're right. I think NC State's velocity, um, you know. It's it's a it's a it's a nice it's nice to have that if those guys can can pitch and they can use it and we know that Radon can use it. Yep. Um, you know the fact that Jernigan issued six walks this weekend and still didn't give up any hits and and you know was able to go six innings. It's actually pretty encouraging. I think. I mean, it sounds like what it was it was kind of a tight zone there and he didn't you know he didn't uh, uh, implode. I think that's that's a, an encouraging sign for a freshman. Yeah, that was a really um, it was a strange inning. Uh, I don't know how else to explain. I mean, he had two strikeouts looking and then he had five walks. I mean, it's not like he was missing by a ton, but it was a very strange inning, and then when he needed it, he struck out Georgia Tech's two of their three toughest left-handed hitters in, uh, in Daniel Palka and Jake Davies. I mean, uh, you know, I guess two of their four, because Kyle Ren and Brandon Thomas, you know, lefty and switch hitter. Um, but, you know, the point is he wasn't imploding. It was, just, it was a very strange inning um, to, have, oh, to have a guy with five walks, but it, this is two starts now or Rutledge, one against West Virginia, and now against Georgia Tech. He's gone five or six innings in those two starts, hitless. So those two starts between them, it's 11 innings, no hits, I guess six or seven walks, I guess he had one against West Virginia, 18 strikeouts. I mean, that's, <laughs> the guy had, there's there's some there there. And uh, I think, I don't, I don't know that NC State's, uh, uh, you know, they, there's some holes in their lineup. It's not a, There's not that one big bat right now that you look at and say, that's a guy who can carry him for a week or two. You know, 
Andrew Senson's a nice veteran guy to hit in the middle of the lineup, but he's not Aaron Bates to compare him to right. a, a, another NC State guy who, you know, if he was Aaron Bates, I, I'd say NC State's a real nice sleeper Omaha team. And their pitching depth is a little iffy. In each, sat, in each victory for NC State, their bullpen was a little – it was it – was, uh, Vulnerable, and they're really uh, they're, they're, Chris Overman struggling with his uh, with his velocity right now. They want him to be their closer, but if they're pitching, if their starting pitching is good enough that Ethan Ogburn could be their closer. He's got a nice curveball. He's a veteran. That would make things uh, better for NC State. But right now, there's I'd say they have some pitching depth issues. But yeah. uh, it was an interesting look at Georgia Tech. I would expect Connor Pitts, uh, their freshman, highly regarded freshman, member of their freshman class, to to get a chance to, to uh, pitch on weekends uh, going forward because uh, it was not a great look at the American Dream Dusty Isaacs yesterday. Uh, it was, he, was not, he was not good uh, in any way, shape, or form. But uh, I think a bigger point, I'm trying, I don't want to get too bogged down on that one weekend series here, but we had Wake Forest sweep Maryland. We've seen Maryland do some encouraging things. We've seen Wake Forest with some, some encouraging things. We've seen Virginia Tech in Virginia with a very competitive series. Uh, I'd say the only team in the league, in the ACC right now, that you'd say is a little down uh, relative to what it's done recently besides Clemson would be Virginia, and even Virginia won that series. So yeah. I think the ACC, we've talked about it being a, a strong league. All the indications, even after the first weekend, are, are pretty strong. I mean, Florida State with a 10-game winning streak right now, and they're pitching very well. Yeah, and that that was the question with Florida State was how those young guys would do in, in the rotation. And, you know, they've they've – Gone all in with the with all freshmen uh, Friday and Saturday with Brandon Lee Brandt and Mike Compton and boy those guys have have pitched very well. Um, you know, and Florida State's done this before. I mean, when Sean Gilmartin was a freshman, he was their Friday guy pretty much right off the bat. Good point. Um, and he and he stayed there for three years. So I mean, maybe that's going to be Brandon Lee Brandt. But um, you know, I, I think that uh, it's been nice for them to be able to put Robert Benincasa back in the bullpen where I think they feel like he's best suited. Um, and uh, you know, and, and Hunter Scantling is probably best suited for that role as well. So it's interesting that they've got their bullpen a little bit upside down as far as the experience goes with the experienced guys in the back and the young guys in the front. But so far that formula is working for them. And Ben Acosta with back-to-back saves at midweek in one-run games against Central Florida, which is ranked. So uh, those were two good midweek wins for for Florida State. Obviously it's not a long trip for them to go down to Orlando, but they win you know back-to-back road games against the top 25 team. So pretty encouraging now you look at their schedule and they only have one more ACC road they have one ACC road series before April so the rest of this month they're going to be at Wake Forest but they you know we know how good Florida State is at home and then you look at the rest of their schedule you know, they get Miami at home uh they have to go to Clemson in the league to go to Boston College to Georgia Tech to Wake Forest it's really shaping up if Florida State could put one of these 50 win seasons together yeah. Aaron if, if their pitching holds up I agree, and and you know it feels like they do this a lot. I mean, they just they just are really good at winning a lot of games down there. They do it every year. It doesn't even matter. It seems like you know players come, players go. They have all Americans, and they replace them with other all Americans, and they just win. They just win every single year. Yeah, there's something to be said for Mike Martin and uh, that program because he's really built the program over thirty some odd years, and uh, yeah, even and just sometimes their consistency. It, it, we take, I think we take it for granted sometimes how good yeah. Florida State's program is. And even I did like last week when I was writing these and tweeting about these all these lineups by coach. You know, Florida State's big league lineup would be pretty doggone good, pretty dadgum good. Uh, the one issue is pitching. Florida State really hasn't produced a, a really good big league pitcher under Mike Martin. I mean, Paul Wilson 
uh, Jason Johnson. They've had some guys who've gone to the big leagues and made some starts. But, uh, you know, but from a position player standpoint, like a Minkiewicz, I think my team for them was obviously Buster behind the plate, pretty good. Uh, sadly, Jeremiah Klosterman never made it, one of my all-time favorite names. <laughs> I love that dude's name. Jesse, Jesse Zabala also did not make it, another great name. Uh, but, I mean, like, you'd have uh, Doug Minkiewicz, probably Kevin Cash at third because he played third at uh, uh, at uh, Florida State. That, that's, that's stretching it a little bit. But Luis Alisea, uh Stephen Drew, J.D. Drew, Matt Diaz, Deion Sanders. I mean, you had some pretty good big leaguers come out yeah. of uh, – out of Mike Martin's program, I just think uh, Paul think, Sorrento. Nice, nice, nice pull. Paul Sorrento's our DH on that team, but I mean, it's a it's a pretty nice alumni club, and it just they've had a lot of talent there. Oh, my second baseman, I forgot Marshall McDougal by honorary uh, personal cheeseball fiat. I guess we could move him to third base, but uh, <laughs> I would never leave Marshall McDougal out of a Florida State team, and he did make it to the major league. So uh, always love Marshall McDougal and. Uh, that 1999 uh, Florida State team. That was that was Mike Martin's chance. Uh, he yeah. had a great team that year, and uh, it really would. I th- it'd be awesome for college baseball. If Florida State won one one year. I'm not pulling for anybody, but it would be awesome for college baseball if Mike Martin won a national championship. Um, I'm not sure this is the team, but his team is set up to be very very good and have a very gaudy record. It's hard to look forward and not if their pitching holds up. If they are healthy, they're going to host a regional. They could host a super regional. So. I'm yeah. getting ahead of ourselves on the Baseball America podcast with John and Aaron. Aaron, I think that over the weekend, the biggest, the most impressive performance by a team in a weekend series, the nominees are North Carolina at Clemson, Cal State Fullerton at Texas A&M, UCLA at Rice. Um, at Georgia. At Georgia, thank you. And then Stanford at home against Rice. Uh, I, I'm opening my envelope, and the answer is, uh, appropriately, uh, the team from close to Hollywood, UCLA, Sweeping at Georgia is that uh, is that your winner in that category as well? Oh boy, it's tough. I mean, you know, North Carolina I would put right in there uh, in that in that same discussion. But you know, going all the way across country, um, I guess yeah, I guess you can go with the Bruins. Why not? I mean, I think uh, uh, boy. I mean, UCLA is playing really well right now. You know, it's it's. We, we talked about it last week about how this is an offensive team that um, is really has really found its stride offensively. And you know, after the first weekend, there was a lot of there were a lot of, of gnashing of teeth about whether or not UCLA was going to hit. People thought it was going to be the same thing as last year, but they have hit, and uh, they had a good pitching staff this weekend. I know that Georgia's a little banged up with uh, with Tyler Maloof sidelined, and they had to move Michael Palazone into the bullpen, um, and they've got a lot of freshmen. I mean, they like their freshman class a lot at Georgia, but they're leaning on those guys quite a bit on the, on the mound, um, and uh, you know, right now, I think Georgia's going through something here. that They're struggling, but um, they haven't hit at all. You know, they haven't hit all season, even against lesser competition. Um, but you know, I kind of, I kind of still think it's going to come for Georgia. I mean, I don't think they're going to be uh, world beaters offensively, but again, I mean, like like Clemson, I think they're going to be better than they have been. And and you know, one of those things that hey, it's baseball. I mean, you go through ups and downs. Sometimes your your downs come earlier than your ups. But I look at Georgia's lineup, and it's the same thing kind of that I said about UCLA's lineup three weeks ago after they they lost to Maryland. And you know, they've got veteran guys that that know how to handle the bat and and will be better than they have been. I just think that, you know, hitting is contagious and, and I was reading about, you know, some some quotes from Georgia after one of those games this weekend and 
hitting is contagious, bad just as it is good. And when right. nobody's hitting, it seems like no, you know, it's hard for everybody to get going. Um, but uh, you know, they'll have a breakout, and I think they'll be they'll be all right. And that's a great point. Hitting, uh, hitting, and not hitting are both contagious. And uh, right now, it's contagious for the Bruins. I mean, I, I don't know why I've never put this together, but Cody Regis's name is like a bad joke. It's like his mom and dad, you know, watched Regis and Kathy Lee. <laughs> Because Kathy Lee's son was Re- was Cody, and she used to like talk about him all the time. And then Regis, I mean, it's like it's like are, are they friends with Dana Carville or something like that to name their child Cody Regis? That's really almost wow. that's almost unfair to the child. I believe it's the, the curse of that name that is having him struggle at the outset here. And my point of bringing him up is <laughs> this guy's five for forty five, and he's one of their veteran, you know, better hitters. And UCLA still kind of tearing the cover off the ball with, with a couple of their key guys, Amaral and Cody Regis, struggling a little bit. But tell people a little bit. You've talked about him, but uh, talk a little bit about Jeff Jelowicz. I mean, this guy is having an All-America year. Yeah. He's 490 with power. It's a loud 491, Aaron. It, it can, uh, obviously, he's not going to keep up 491, but this he sounds like a guy who'd be a three-hole hitter on most Division One college teams. He's a really talented player, and he, you know, he has been uh, since they recruited him. They, they knew that he was a, a guy with some upside. You know, it's power and speed, and you know, real bad speed in there. Um, and you know, he's he's never quite put it together his first two seasons. There was some swing and miss in there that I think held him back. Uh, but he's done a much better job making more consistent contact this year, and I think he's just playing with a lot more confidence. You know, this is a this is a strong kid. He's the best athlete on their team. Um, and, and I think he's the he's the most the best power threat in their team certainly as well. And right now he's hitting for average and power. And you know he just looks locked in. You know when you watch him, he just uh, he seems really quiet in the box. And uh, you know he's he's waiting for the right pitch and just driving it. And he's using you know I think he's using all fields. And uh, it just looks really impressive right now. Aaron, right now the Pac-10 looks like it's Stanford the Pac-12. I got that's going to be hard to get out of that habit. But the Pac-12 looks pretty strong, pretty deep. We've got Oregon and Oregon State that we brought in this week. Uh, you know, Oregon came in last week on the strength of uh, winning that uh, two weeks ago, I should say, sweeping uh, that series at Vanderbilt. Now Oregon State also like an 11-5 and star preseason top 25 team. They're ranked. We discussed Southern California. The Trojans got a nice midweek win against Cal State Fullerton. Uh, they win the, they swept their weekend series. Uh, they're, they're back on the radar. Uh, you know, the Pac-12, I mean, obviously Arizona State's not going to get a bid, but I mean, uh, has a Pac-12 as a as a league been even a little bit better than we thought it was going to be coming in, or kind of right where you thought they'd be? Uh, I think it's it's you can make a case it's been a little bit better, partly because I think USC has gotten off to a very strong start, and that was a team that I, I kind of envisioned as a uh, you know a borderline regional contender uh, coming into the year, and and right now maybe they've been a little bit better than that. I mean, right now it's really early still, but they look like pretty good regional contender. Um, you know, and, and I think that, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that the league has been pretty deep. Washington has had some nice weekends. You know, they won a nice series down at UC Irvine. Um, you know, they're 10 and 5. They did lose a series to, at Cal Poly this weekend, but Cal Poly's, you know, had a pretty good year so far. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's a deep league. I, I do. I mean, I don't think that, uh, besides Utah, maybe, which is, has struggled so far, um, you know, there's there's nobody in this weekend that you can really roll over, and and we'll see how Utah handles their their first season in the pack. But um, you know, right now I think it's it's, it's going to be a very competitive league, top to bottom. But but Stanford is clearly the class of the league. You've got league play begins in the uh, Pac-12 um, this week, and obviously it's an 11-team league because Colorado does not play baseball. 
So when Stanford takes a week off uh, in the league, uh, like they do for exams every year, you get a nice even. Uh, the rest of the league is all playing conference series next weekend. So you got Arizona State at UCLA. That's going to be a <laughs> obviously a much anticipated series. The O State Ballers at Cal. Your two of your more Cinderella programs uh, in the league. Uh, like you said, Utah, USC, Wazoo at Arizona. You know, the, uh, very quietly, the Wildcats are number six. I feel like we never really talk about Arizona on the podcast, Aaron, but uh, you know, Arizona just living up so far uh, to the hype. I mean, they keep on pitching. They yeah. haven't they haven't played a strong schedule, which is why we haven't really two. talked about them yet. Is they haven't they haven't really played a strong schedule, but they've taken care of business against the guys that they have played. And this week's their big test. Uh, they're home to, for conference play, but in between they go to Rice. Um, so they'll be away from their new home park where they've got a nice fan support at High Corbett Field. And now you're talking about a team that uh, were Kurt Heyer and this pitching staff that's been so good, and that is the main reason why we ranked them uh, in the top ten preseason, will get its biggest test. Uh, how do you feel like that one might play out? And what do uh, if you're a Rice fan listening to this, what do you have to look forward to when you face uh, when, when you have uh, Arizona coming in midweek? Well, I think Arizona is a really balanced team. You know, I, I think that yeah, it's a nice one-two pitching punch with Kurt Heyer and, and Connor Wade on the weekends. But um, you know, I really like their lineup a lot. I think they're experienced and they're athletic. Um, you know, they've got strong defenders all over the place. Um, you know, Alex Mejia at shortstop's a really underrated player. Um, and he, has, he, he has both their home runs this year. I didn't realize that they were that low on power, but uh, always look for them to hit triples, and they do have a lot of right. triples. But a couple home runs for Alex Mejia too. I mean, it's like he's uh, off to. A, it looks like he's off to a very good start offensively. Yeah, and you know he's he's uh, he's one of those guys who plays above his above his tools a little bit. And he's a really good defensive player. That's his calling card. But he can surprise you with the bat a little bit. And, and uh, you know, I think Arizona will hit some home runs as they play more games away from home. I mean, so far, you know, in, in their home park, it's just not a place where you're going to hit for much power. Um, I think, that in fact, they're, they're talking about moving the fences in a little bit next year. I believe I heard that. But, um, you know, right now it's going to be a team that uses the gaps a lot, and they've got, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of, of, of good line drive hitters. Johnny Field and Robert Refsnyder I've always been a big fan of, and, uh, you know, Joey Rickard's gotten off to a good start. I mean, this is a, a good offensive team. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm curious how their pitching will hold up this weekend. Um, you know, they're going to probably need more out of guys like Tyler Hale and, um, you know, um, Vincent Littleman. I mean, some guys that they were talking talking about a lot in the preseason, you know, kind of holding uh, key roles for them. So far, they haven't pitched a ton. Let, let's see you know, how they do this weekend. Yeah, and uh, you look up and down their main – most of their pitchers uh, have a lot more strikeouts than walks. I mean, we knew they were a power – team but uh do you have any indication that they might of who they might start against rice i mean would either of those teams bring weekend guys back sooner for that kind of uh, series or do you expect that's going to be fourth and fifth starters battling each other in midweek we have seen arizona do that in the past with higher uh i think higher has a pretty resilient arm and you know maybe if it's his throw day on tuesday or wednesday i wouldn't be at all surprised him get out there and throw two or three innings but um, you know, I, I, in general, I don't know that Arizona has, um, you know, one guy that's kind of their go-to midweek starter at this point. Um, you know, I think I think it's going to be kind of a staff effort here at, at, at Rice, but it's going to be interesting to see how they hold up because I mean, I I like Arizona's, uh, you know, top five or six arms, but I don't know about the depth of this staff. That's one of the question marks I have about this team. Yeah, I gotta say, they're, they're to me the strength of their team seems like they're. D- Besides their 
that one-two punch. Like you said, they're balanced, but they have athleticism. You know, you look it up. Well, I'm looking up and down our scouting reports that we have on this team. There's athleticism, athleticism in the outfield or the middle infield. Um, and this is a team that's well suited to playing in a big ballpark. And and uh, you know, Lord willing, as uh, Andy Andy Lopez would say, and he's taken three teams to Omaha and he's won a national championship. The guy knows what he's doing. Is my point. So uh, I expect Arizona to be good. Uh, it's the Baseball America College Podcast with John and Aaron. Aaron, I, I meant to say this, ask this question earlier, but we have a podcast question from our old friend Joe LaCates. Um, he's only got 17 followers, so at Jay LaCates, if you want to follow Joe. He's a uh, almost like an adjunct professor here at Baseball America. The guy, <laughs> the guy follows all of us, and he is a very informed fan. He was wondering if we could talk a little bit about Richie Schaefer and his toward start and his status as a pro pos- prospect. And Aaron, Richie Schaefer at Clemson is just off to this tremendous start. Uh, he is certainly there. If, if Clemson is struggling, it's certainly not because of Richie Schaefer. It really seems like no matter what he does offensively, scouts believe in this guy's bat. The issue is just going to be how he defends at third base and whether pro guys think that he can be a third baseman uh, at the pro level as opposed to a right-right first baseman because he has that right-handed hitting, right-handed throwing profile. I mean, this guy, just for the record, he's hitting 447, 581, 894. And I think, Aaron, you're probably about as big of a Richie Schaefer fan as there is. Yeah, I really, really like the guy. You know, I just think it's such easy right-handed power and, and it, uh, he can go the opposite way. Uh, he can certainly pull the ball. I mean, the guy is, 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 he's strong and I think he's, he's, uh, um, you know, really matured as a hitter. His approach has gotten a lot better. He's, he's become more disciplined at the plate, more selective. Doesn't chase as much. Um, he's a tough out, and and uh, you know, and I don't know if he can play third base. We'll find out. I mean, he's got arm strength, and I think his actions are improving. But um, you know, we'll see where he fits at the next level. I think coming in, we thought he had a chance to play third base, um, and then he, he played first base for two years. Uh, but that doesn't mean he can't play third. You know, I, I haven't actually gotten a great. A report on him one way or the other this this spring to see how he's doing there and something we'll have to check into. But um, you know he's a he's a fairly athletic guy. I mean maybe he's got a chance there. And either way, I think he's he's a first round kind of talent because of the bat. I think the other option for Richie Schaefer is that um, he looks athletic. I've never put a watch on him. He doesn't look like a guy who's too much of a slug to move right. to an outfield corner. So with him, the bat he just might be one of these college infielders who moves to the outfield as a pro. Because uh, he does have arm strength, um, I think it's the actions and the footwork that's going to get him at third base if something gets him. And so far, again, I, I haven't talked to anybody about him yet. Five errors and eight fifty three fielding percentage. That's not going to get her done uh, when there are already questions about it, Joe. But uh, to get to the question, but uh, to, to me, he's you. Especially with Victor Roach hurt, is there a college draft guy uh, available with better right-handed power than Richie Schaefer? Probably not. Probably not, you know, and, and I think you, you could probably talk about Mike Zanino in that discussion. But That's great point. Uh, as, as far as raw power, I think I think Schaefer has more. Yeah, I mean Zanino clearly is the better prospect because he can catch, and he's already got seven home runs this year. Uh, <laughs> I like he can't hit, like you said. But to me, uh, Richie Schaefer could be that dude uh, who does go in the first round of this draft because he's a college bat with power potential. And pro teams, whether he's a third baseman or not, doesn't really matter because they just see him as a corner outfield bat. And, uh, that that might be the eventual home for uh, for Richie Schaefer. So, Joe, thanks for the question. As usual, if you want to ask questions to us here on the Baseball American podcast, you can do that at podcast at baseballamerica.com or you can hit us up on Twitter at John Manuel BA at Aaron Fit. This college, Baseball America College podcast is sponsored by ATEC, the baseball training machine company. 
ATEC is committed to delivering tools to coaches to help train and develop players. Visit ATECSports.com to learn about training machines that can help make your practice more effective and efficient. See training tips and practice drills from Vanderbilt head coach Tim Corbin and many more on ATECSports.com. ATEC win every practice. Aaron, let's turn to the Southeastern Conference. We haven't talked much about the SEC yet. Um, kind of a status quo weekend for the SEC going into league play uh, besides Georgia losing that series. Um, like I guess other big news in the SEC was really injury issues at Mississippi State. How, uh, the, the Bulldogs overcame those this weekend, a 4-1 week. But uh, talk a little bit about those injuries at Mississippi State and how capable are the Bulldogs of overcoming those injuries uh, as the season goes on. Yeah, I don't know. We'll find out. I mean, I think it's it's not easy when you lose your number one starter coming into the year and Ben Bracewell. Um, you lose, you know, a senior corner outfielder in Brent Brownlee. Uh, you lose, I think, a guy who's their most dynamic player overall and a two-way guy, C.T. Bradford. Uh, he, he, he was hurt in the midweek game this week. And then you lose your third baseman, Daryl Norris. I mean, those are tough pieces to replace. And then, frankly, um, you know, I'll be surprised if they can if those guys are out for an extended period, and, and Mississippi State is able to weather the storm. I mean, I'll be surprised and impressed. Uh, right now, they've got Hunter Renfro playing center field. Uh, you know, a guy that uh, is is a catcher by trade and, and a right-handed pitcher, I suppose. Um, but uh, I don't I don't know if he's ever played center field. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be curious if he has. I mean, we know he's athletic, but. Um, you know, C.T. Bradford is, is a great defender in center field. And in addition to being, you know, the guy that I think really makes their offense go, I think he in particular is a huge loss. I agree. Um, and, uh, you know, so far so good. But I, I think it, I think they're kind of holding that thing together with duct tape right now. Yeah, I mean, Mercer's a good Atlantic Sun program, well-coached, good team. Um, that's a good – those are good wins for Mississippi State. And they still I mean, but it's surprising, like you said, that Renfro would be in center and not Demarcus Henderson. When Demarcus Henderson's got the reputation as the guy who can, who can really, really run, um, and it's going to be a challenge. Mercer's good; they're not LSU, so it's going to be a real challenge next weekend for Mississippi State. Uh, when this, uh, is, you know, like you said, we'll see how how battered they are, uh, you know, and how healthy they can be uh, for that weekend series against the the Tigers when they start SEC play. Uh, Bradford, Norris, are uh, those guys? Uh, who's expected back from Mississippi State? What's the which are the longest term injuries there for the for the for the Bulldogs? I haven't heard a prognosis on those two guys who got hurt this week. Um, I, I don't know that Bracewell is going to be back. I mean, I, I think right now they're all they're just kind of in wait and see mode with all those guys. Uh, but uh, you know, uh, like I said, I think it would be it would be pretty huge to get. Um, Bradford or Norris back, especially Bradford. I just think he's the toughest guy to replace there. So we'll have to look into that and see what the report is for, for how long they'll be out. I agree with you. That the, Bradford is probably, I mean, Norris, like you said, two-way guy, delivers some power. But to me, C.T. Bradford's one of the, those athletes that kind of makes them go, kind of defines their team. You know, yeah. he's, he's a veteran. He can hit. He's athletic, plays up the middle. Uh for them to be my Omaha sleeper, <laughs> that was predicated on a healthy C.T. Bradford and some of those other jokers. How many teams can overcome, you know, three, four, five losses like you're talking about, Aaron, in terms of personnel, you know? Right, and and you know, and Bradford is a double loss because he's a guy that uh, he had started for them at least one game on the mound this year, and I think he he p- pitched very well, if I recall. Um, you know, so I mean, it it's a, <laughs> he's a guy that probably would have pitched more for them as the season progressed. I mean, that's just a just a big big loss. Now you already have uh, top ranked Florida at home to open SEC play next week. Uh, just for Vanderbilt, it's not going to be easy for Vanderbilt at five and ten, having lost a series this weekend to San Diego to get well. 
looks like Vanderbilt's, uh, unless they turn things around soon, Aaron, Vanderbilt's going to miss regionals. I mean, they're just, there are yeah. no wins there. Uh, uh, their, their resume is not just that they've played good teams, they have, but now you've lost a home series at, uh, to West Coast teams, good teams in Oregon and San Diego, but you got to win these series. Uh, and Vanderbilt uh, doesn't seem like they're getting a whole lot better. Yeah, it's been a little a little discouraging. I mean, you, you would have thought by now that they'd start to come out of this funk a little bit. And, um, you know, I, like you said, I, I like San Diego. I think San Diego is probably, you know, the team to beat in the West Coast Conference this year. But, uh, you know, that's a home series for Vanderbilt. I think it's a series you got to win. Um, and they just haven't yet been able to get the pitching going. Um, you know, that's been a big part of it. Um, you know, they, they – uh, it's, it's Kevin Zomek. Gave him a nice start on Friday, and um, but you know after that, I mean, I, I think that uh, they're still they're still trying to get answers in rotation. They went with Drew Verhagen again this weekend on Saturday, and you know, he pitched into the fifth inning was okay. But um, you know, I think coming into the year, we thought this was a this was a boomer bust kind of a team. Uh, but uh, you know, in order for them to to really um, play at their at their capacity, they needed. Guys like Sam Selman, we've talked about him a lot already. Right. Did not pitch well this weekend. You know, gave up seven runs and two and a third. Um, they needed him and, and, you know, Tyler Beatty, who's been, you know, he's become just a bullpen guy for them right now. I mean, after starting out the year as a Saturday starter. Um, Drew Verhagen, I mean, these are all talented arms uh, that have struggled. And, and that's that's the bottom line. I think, you know, their their offense uh, is, is all right, but I think they just they just haven't pitched. They have not pitched, and they played a good schedule. I'll give them that credit. They have played a good schedule, but boy, it's just not a uh, just not a really encouraging uh, team yet uh, performance, I should say, yet for Vanderbilt. Um, so, Baseball America podcast with John and Aaron. Let's wrap up the SEC here, and I'm just looking ahead a little bit to next week. Kentucky, sixteen and zero, still not ranked. That's there's a good reason for that. They haven't played anybody. I mean, their toughest series so far have been either Illinois, Chicago, or Buffalo, whichever way you want to look at it. Uh, polished off Canisius this weekend. They're going to take it up a notch when they play South Carolina. What does? Uh, how do you expect uh, you know Kentucky to fare in a, in a weekend home series against the def- two-time defending national champions? Well, you know you have to you have to consider South Carolina the favorites, of course, but um, Kentucky is is a, a solid team. I mean, I you know I, I know we. Uh, we haven't ranked them, and, and you know I, I like teams that actually play somebody in the pre preseason, and, and they haven't done that. Um, but uh, you know, coming into the year, I kind of liked Kentucky. We had them as a regional team, and, yep. I, and I think I, I mentioned them a couple of times early on as, as a kind of a little bit of a sleeper in the SEC. Um, I like their pitching quite a bit. You know, those three lefties with uh, uh, Taylor Rogers and Corey Luttrell and, and Jared Grundy. I mean, those are three good quality lefties uh, in the weekend rotation. Um, I think this team has some experience in the lineup. They've got some power. Luke Maley and uh, Cameron Flynn, and you know these guys have have, uh, have produced some you know some home runs for them, and um, they've got some athleticism. They've, I think they've got some nice up the middle defenders. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a pretty good balanced team. And, and no, I wouldn't be surprised if they if they won that series at home this weekend. I think South Carolina is the favorite, but uh, but don't write off Kentucky's chances just because they haven't played anybody yet. I mean, this is a pretty good team. Yeah, they're going to be running into a team in South Carolina where the pitching staff has allowed is allowing opponents to hit uh, all of 157. Jeez. And, and South Carolina as a team, 143 strikeouts on 127 innings. I mean, it's going to be tough. But I, I'm with you. I like Kentucky's team. I like their talent. 
Um, you know, every time I see Jerry Grundy's name, I think of the old, uh, you know, I think it's DC Comics uh, bad guy, Solomon Grundy, you know, hmm. uh, Jerry Grundy smash is what I think every time I see his name. So uh, this guy's a three. Your schools. mind works in mysterious ways, John. It's a little frightening. Yeah, this guy's at his third school in three years, is he not? Uh, yeah, he was at Miami, and then he went to uh, uh, college. college in Illinois, I believe, and now he's at Kentucky. Jared Grundy, good. I think it's a good. I think it's a good pitching staff as well. The challenge for me will be: can they hit against South Carolina? And uh, that's going to be a challenge. South Carolina, um, as good as it comes in terms of pitching and executing at the college level, they're just uh, it, it's it's really amazing to see how consistent their pitching staff has been this uh, this year. Uh, Aaron, lastly, we should probably wrap up uh, the podcast. Let's talk a little bit about Purdue, though. The Boilermakers, in the podcast, uh, in the podcast, in the rankings, for the first time we've talked about them as a preseason Big Ten favorite. We've talked about them on the outskirts of the poll for a couple of weeks. Uh, it wasn't so much that they you know, beat Moorhead State, or Murray State, I guess it was, that got them into the rankings this week. So much as just the fact they continued to be very good uh, and they really only have the, the you know the one loss of the Big East Big Ten Challenge and the one loss to Maryland, or is it just one loss overall? I guess it's one, one loss, loss overall. overall. Yeah. So, so just to, for people who haven't heard a lot about them, why Purdue and why do we think Purdue is legit? Well, they're a really really offensive club. They're, they're physical and experienced, and they got some serious power in the middle of the lineup with uh, Cameron Perkins and Kevin Plowecki. Uh, you know, Stephen Talbot's got some juice in there, and you know, Eric Charles has been really a, a dynamo for them. Uh, the second baseman hitting in the two hole. Uh, I think he's yeah, he's hitting four eighty one now, and had a big weekend uh, against Murray State, just like Perkins and Plowecki did. Um, you know, that's what we really like about this team is is the lineup. I mean, all the way through. The lineup you got experience and you've got talented offensive players and they're hitting 376 as a team right now um you know and and i think the pitching uh is, is decent but not great but so far you know with with lance breedlove um you know gives him a, a nice quality starter and um i think and i think mostly though this team is is going to have to outscore teams outslug teams and that's what they've done i mean this is uh you know, it's a really good offensive team. And, and you know, they haven't played cream puffs. Like you said, they were down to Keith LeClaire. They went down to Auburn and, and beat Auburn in Southern Miss and Charleston Southern um, in, you know, a decent field. Not a, you know, not a, a fantastic field. Southern Miss isn't as good this year as it was last year. Neither is Auburn. But those are still named teams, and those are quality wins. So, um, you know, we like Purdue, and, and I, I think it's it's good to reward a Big Ten team that gets off to an 11-1 start with all those games, of course, on the road against solid solid opponents. Yeah, I mean, they're not going to play a home game until uh, March 27th. So, you know, it's um, what they're doing so far is pretty impressive. Disappointed to see the slow start by Angelo Cienfraco. Uh Looking forward to how would his name be announced at the Stade Olympique? <laughs> Uh, Angelo Cianfraco. Outstanding. So he didn't take much. I get Aaron up early enough. I could get him to do goofy stuff like me. Um, and uh, I, you know, it's, it's just too bad that they couldn't line up their offense with the with the Matt Bischoff era, my all time favorite. That's uh, right. Uh, Purdue player not named John Manuel. Don't forget they had a player named John Manuel at the turn of the century. They had a second baseman named John Manuel. So uh, always had a little soft spot for the Boilermakers. That and their 1988. Uh, uh, media guide cover with the Boilermaker running to first in full costume <laughs> with an enormous head. So we've always uh, joked about the Purdue program. And again, they're the 
the Chicago Cubs of college baseball, no Big Ten championships since 1909. So uh, there's, there's uh, we don't root for teams. It would be a good story for Purdue to win the Big Ten. It would be a good story for Purdue to be good. It's their first year uh, in the rankings since 2001 when they won a weekend series, a tournament down at Rice, including beating Rice. So, um, so they've been on the national map sort of before, but no regional trip since 1909. I thought, well, I don't think they've ever had a regional trip. Maybe I'm wrong. I have to look that one up. But no Big Ten championships since 1909. I think that's, that's really amazing. I believe they um, have been to regionals uh, more recently than that, if I'm okay. not mistaken. Well, there were no regionals in 1909, so there was no NCAA tournament. So yeah. uh, I hope more. I hope they've been more recently than that. But uh, it, it does sound also, Aaron, correct me if 1987, wrong. John. That was their other region, the only regional trip, 1987. All right. Kudos to the 87 Boilers. Um, I guess Quanzo Martin was on that team. Uh, maybe Rick Mount. I'm naming some great Purdue basketball players. The big dog, uh, Glenn Robinson. That's before his time. Um, uh, it is March Madness. Um, but it also seems, and we've talked about this before, so far you just had this weekend in Illinois, go to this uh, tournament out in, uh, what was it, that Oregon State and Oklahoma were in. Illinois has the best showing in that tournament. Uh, we talked about them coming into the year, their athleticism, the way they finished last year, uh, winning the Big Ten tournament, being quite good in a regional. Uh, you know, you've got Ohio State looks a little bit better. Michigan State, we've talked about them this year with some talent. It feels like even though the Big Ten's records aren't that high, that it feels like it's going to be a very competitive league within the league, or do you think maybe Purdue's starting to separate itself a little bit? No, I do think it's going to be competitive. You know, I, 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 uh, as I wrote last week, I think Michigan State is probably even more complete than Purdue because I like their pitching better. Um, and, uh, you know, and they've also got a couple of good bats in the middle of the lineup and, you know, some veterans uh, uh, like Kevin Scanlon at shortstop. I mean, I think Michigan State's a good balanced team uh, that could certainly win that league again. Um, you know, and, and all the team you mentioned, I think, are factors. I think Michigan is going to be considerably improved this year. Um, you know, uh, I think Indiana, um, you know, losing Micah Johnson was a big blow. That's a team that probably, you know, might take a little, might, might struggle a little bit in conference play. But I think this is a good year for the Big Ten. And, and frankly, I think it could be a multiple bid league this year. I mean, I, I don't think that's probably likely, but I think it could happen. Um, you know, it, it all depends. I mean, I think Purdue getting off to a great start non-conference is, is good for the RPI. Um, you know, Michigan State has gone and played a bunch of good teams. They played a really good schedule. I mean, if those two teams, uh, can can take care of business, let's say, in in in, in, in the conference um, with their non-conference schedules. I could see them one of those teams getting an at-large bid. Yeah, Michigan State's got seven losses this year. You've got two one-run losses, well, a bunch of one-run losses: South Florida, Louisville, Miami of Ohio. The three losses to Texas A&M at A&M, and then a two-run loss to Pittsburgh. I mean, they've they've played a pretty representative schedule, and I think you could circle kind of that. Uh, uh, you know, the first weekend in Big Ten play is going to be Ohio State and Purdue, if I'm not mistaken, uh, coming up in a couple of weeks on the 23rd. It looks like it is, yeah, Purdue at Ohio State. So very interested to see how that plays out. I think the Big Ten is going to be more interesting than it has been in recent years. And uh, another part about the Big Ten is and all those games are on TV. You can watch them yourself. Yeah. You have Direct TV, Big Ten Networks right there. And um, it's worth, I think it's worth watching. So, uh, Aaron, we didn't mention Fullerton. Obviously, a big weekend with them going to A&M and winning that series. We probably should touch on that before we end the podcast. Uh, eventful week for the Titans. They lose that midweek game against uh, USC. A colorful coach, Rick Vanderhoek, with the calling out his team post-game um, with not safe for work language. Uh, but the Titans then uh, go on the road and win a series at, Cal- at Texas A&M. 
It really seems like Cal State Fullerton has, uh, is back to that Titan, scrappy, uh, yeah. overachiever label that they you know, first rose to prominence with in the early 90s uh, under Augie Garrido. Though not even the early 90s, early 80s. Yeah, you know, I think I think Rick Vanderhoek is is a great fit for that program. I mean, I just he's he's a titan through and through, and um, he knows how to push the right buttons and get those guys going. I mean, he was spitting mad after they lost to USC on Tuesday, and uh, you know he he got he, he look they responded to him. I mean, he uh, he wants them to uh, to. To produce quality at bats. That's the biggest thing. He's been so frustrated when they chase out of the zone. Um, you know, that's been the I think the biggest thing that he's been preaching is is uh, he wants these guys to to be smart when they're in the batter's box. Um, you know, and and uh, look, it's not a it's not a, a vintage Titan team. It's not loaded with with talent and experience. I mean, I like their offense. I think it's it's a it's a it's going to be a decent offense. I mean, they've been a little bit up and down so far this year, but um, you know they've got uh, they've got some nice pieces there. Certainly, we've talked about you know Michael Lorenzen and um, you know uh, Carlos Lopez, of course, and uh, Dylan you know Floro. Dylan Floro is, is 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 going to be you know most of the time he's going to be a lot better than he was this past week on Friday. wasn't wasn't great Friday at Texas A and M, but right. you know, I think they they showed a lot of character winning those two games on Sunday. I mean, they weren't. Uh, you know, they weren't games where they really got great starting pitching, uh, but they they battled and uh, you know, the, hey, that's a that's a it's a really good A and M team, and and we still have A and M higher in the rankings because I think we both still think A and M is is better than Fullerton, um, but you know, <laughs> Fullerton won two out of three in College Station. They already have a, a series win against TCU. Uh, they uh, they you know went to Florida and held their own very well. Um, I mean, look, you got to look at, at, at Fullerton's body of work here and be pretty impressed. Yeah, I think we thought that Fullerton's body of work is better than Texas A&M's. Texas A&M's talent is still better than than Cal State Fullerton's. And I think the bottom line is, uh, you know, one team is ten and five, and it's been against a good schedule. I, I see on the RPI, it's the number one strength of schedule. I would say Stanford is the better schedule. Uh, you know, I I know Stanford was home, but in terms of right. teams, in terms of talent of the teams you're playing, uh, as good as Fullerton's has been, Stanford has been better. Um, Stanford- I think it's I think it's arguable because I think Florida. And A and M are both better than anyone. Well, I mean, Rice, Rice and A and M are comparable, but I think Florida certainly is better than anyone Stanford has played. It's the best team in the country, um, you know. And, and but Stanford uh, hasn't played anybody like Utah Valley. I give Cal State Fullerton the credit for going on the road. You know, this is payback really for Stanford having gone on the road to all three of those last year. So uh, I like Fullerton. I think we have them ranked in a good spot. I know they're ranked higher elsewhere, and um, you know, for me. Uh, I, I think the talent difference between Fullerton and A and M is decent enough uh, that that's why we still have them ahead in the rankings. But I'll let people know you dissented on that. <laughs> you know, you had Ful- you had Fullerton ahead of A and M. The rest of us did not by pole mechanics and various other factors. So I think if you're going to talk about the good teams, the good wins that uh, Fullerton has, which they do have good wins, you have to talk about the Utah Valley wins as well. So sure. Um, that's that's how I felt about it. And, so, and I will and I will add this that you know I think I have Fullerton ahead of A and M because I I think their body of work is more impressive considerably more impressive, uh, and you know again the fact that they won the head to head series in College Station, um, hey I, I just think it's it's a it's a it's an impressive start to the year ten and five it's a really impressive ten and five to me. That said, end of the season who do I think is better A and M? I mean I like A and M's team better. There's no question. 
Um, you know, I think Fullerton will be, uh, uh, will be, you know, probably, will probably host a regional and hell, they might make it to Omaha again. But, um, you know what? I, I just, I believe in A&M more, the, the especially Waka stripling combination on the mound, uh, and their bullpen, I just think is better and deeper and more experienced. Um, you know, so that to me is the difference. I think you're right. Great points. Great way to end it. I can't believe we left that, held that for last. I meant to bring it up a lot earlier, but I hope everyone uh, appreciate everybody being patient uh, for that one. Anything else, Aaron, uh, here on this, this week's podcast? I think that's it for me, John. Well, I think that's it for me as well, and that's going to be it for the Baseball America College podcast, sponsored by ATEC, the baseball training machine company. At ATEC, we're committed to delivering tools to coaches to help train and develop players. Visit ATECsports.com to learn about training machines that can help make your practice more effective and efficient. See training tips and practice drills from Vanderbilt head coach Tim Corbin and more on ATechSports.com. ATech win every practice. I think, Aaron, people need to listen to the end of the podcast all year to see how many times I foul up the words, see training tips and practice drills. That's going to be a, <laughs> someone needs to keep track of that and see how often I mess that up. Today, I think I went three for three. It's impressive. I think, I think it was my best performance of the podcast. For Aaron Fit, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next Monday on the Baseball America College podcast. So long, everybody. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.